Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. It's the early 1940s, and Robert Mills was a transit bus driver in West Virginia. Now, during that time, his bus route covered a particular area that no one else wanted to drive, Holden number 22. It was an old mine road that was rumored to be haunted. Mills paid no mind to the rumors until one night that changed his mind forever. That night, Robert Mills stopped to pick up a pretty young woman with dark hair and impeccable dress. When she smiled as he boarded the bus, Robert felt this tingle through his whole body. At the time, he just chucked it up to a pretty girl giving him some attention. The two rode in silence. He tried to glance back in the mirror at the pretty girl, but it was hard to see her in the dark since it was nighttime. When he made it to her stop, he turned on the interior lights so that she could make her way safely down the aisle. But when he looked up, the girl had vanished. Funny thing is that Robert Mills isn't the only one who has claimed to seeing the spectral entity on the dark mine road. The woman has become a local urban legend. This week, I'll talk about the ghost of Mamie Thurman. 
This story takes place in my home state of West Virginia. Not from the area I'm from. I'm actually from the upper panhandle, and this takes place in the southern part, which is a lot more rural, so I wasn't familiar with this ghost story. I used several sources for the story, including AppalachianHistory.net, Haunted History, LoganWestVirginia.us, and a book by F. Keith Davis called The Secret Life and Brutal Death of Mamie Thurmond. Garland Davis was picking blackberries along the road on June 22, 1932. He was deaf and didn't speak, at those times was called a deaf mute. So when he saw the lifeless body in the brush, he couldn't scream, despite the horror of what he saw. Mamie Thurman's dark hair was covered in blood and mud. Her beautiful dress was drenched in red. Mamie had been shot twice, execution style. But those weren't her only damages inflicted upon her. Her throat had been slit, and bruises covered her entire body. It appeared her body had been carried down to the road to hide it. So who would want to kill this beautiful woman? As the case progressed, scandal and rumors would emerge. But first, let's go back to the beginning. More than 80 years ago, Logan, West Virginia's population was around 2,500, which consisted of many people there for the coal industry. Now, coal is especially important to West Virginia's history. According to author F. Keith Davis, there were 10,794 men and boys working in the mines in Logan County. Yes, I said boys, because at that time, there were no unions, there were no age restrictions on anything. He gave a racial breakdown of who was working in the mines. It was 6,443 white guys, 2,212 black guys, 968 were Hungarian, 240 Italians, 168 were Spanish, 204 Polish, 68 Greek, and 491 mixed identities. I had no idea coal mines were this diverse at that time, because it certainly wasn't like that when I was growing up in the 80s. The town had a small business district with a couple of popular restaurants, most notably a place called the Smokehouse Restaurant. And this place had radio, which was not available at that time to most of the town's poor residents. As normal as the town was, it also had its dark side. The government was apparently very corrupt, and it required business owners to pay weekly or monthly just to be able to run their businesses, kind of like the mob does. And in turn, they would get local law protection. One of the most corrupt men was Dapper Don Chafin, who was a coal mine owner, county assessor, and the Logan County Sheriff. This was also the time of the Great Depression. So I think you get an idea of what life was like at that time in Logan County. Mamie Thurman was born Mamie Morrison on September 12, 1900. Her father was a carpenter and contractor, George A. Morrison Sr. Not much is known about her mother, though, other than she passed away when Mamie was just three. The couple had moved from Logan to Kentucky by the time that Mamie was born. Rumor has it that the household was a difficult one due to her father, some even suggesting that he was mentally or physically abusive. 
George Morrison died in 1928 in a gun battle with a policeman in Ashland, Kentucky. The officer was allegedly arresting the man over either moonshine possession or delivery. And when George resisted arrest, the policeman fatally shot Morrison. Remember, this was the time of prohibition, and moonshine making was very popular. When Mamie reached adulthood, this is when she really bloomed. She wore her dark hair in the short, curled style of the time, and she loved to dress in tight, form-fitting dresses. Now, I get the sense that she really loved the fashion of flappers and the icons of the 30s. Many described her as bubbly and vivacious, with dark eyes and olive skin, always wearing bright red lipstick. Her half-brother, George Morrison, remembered her as the most beautiful woman in the world to him. His mother was Mamie's stepmother, and rather close in age to Mamie. George and his mother lived at the Pioneer Hotel, and he remembers that men would come in and out of the room at all times. His mother would tell him to turn his face against the wall, and men stayed all night. So I think you get an idea of what was going on. Now, Mamie would also stay overnight quite a lot, and reportedly was seldom alone. Trouble is that Mamie was married. The man she was married to was Jack Thurman, who she had met in Kentucky and was 10 years older than Mamie. The couple had moved to Logan in 1924. Now, at first, Jack worked in construction and later became a policeman. And I thought that was kind of surprising that Mamie would have taken up with a lawman after her father was killed by one. And Mamie had a variety of jobs, from secretary at a car dealership to bank teller. And everywhere she went, she was loved. And some say she walked with this air of knowing just how beautiful she was. Perhaps just the fact that she was admired also made her the target of rumors. Rumors of a double life. On one hand, she was a devoted wife to a policeman who dutifully attended church every Sunday. But to others, she was the wild, flirty woman who loved to hit all the local watering holes. And the woman who might steal their man. One married man that caught her eye was Harry Robertson. Harry was a local businessman, politician, and bookkeeper for the bank. The husband and father of two wasn't exactly a Lothario, though. The 40-year-old was described as, quote, bookish by most due to his small frame, his love of bow ties, and his circular glasses. Now, he and his wife, Louise, owned a nice brick home on Stratton Street, and behind the home was a garage apartment that they rented to the Thurmans. In addition, the Robertsons took in boarders. One boarder was 29-year-old black handyman Clarence Stevenson. Now, Clarence lived in the couple's attic. He was small, some say he was a dwarf, and he had very little education. The man kept to himself due to his odd appearance. He'd been hit in the forehead with the shaft of a grocery delivery wagon, causing a huge bulge on his forehead that remained there his whole life. The townspeople really liked him, though, and were used to seeing him run errands for Harry. Clarence was considered a handyman, doing various jobs for Harry Robertson, including gardening and chauffeuring. 
Clarence will play a pivotal role later on in the story. Now, Jack Thurman worked mostly nights at the police station. As he stopped at the front door, Mamie would dutifully place a kiss on his lips and see him off to work. Jack always wished his wife good night and told her that he would see her in the morning. In his mind, Mamie would soon head to bed. But unbeknownst to him, that couldn't have been farther from the truth. After carefully shaping her brows, powdering her nose, and drawing her mouth into a bow with her lipstick, Mamie was ready to go out. And who would be on her arm but none other than Harry Robertson. Now it's hard to say when this affair began or why. You know, maybe she was lonely all those nights by herself. I mean, why does anyone step out on their spouse? They most likely began their affair when they worked together at the bank. And even after Mamie was laid off by the bank, this relationship continued. And it was a known fact that most people in town knew about the affair since they didn't exactly keep it hidden. Her favorite spot was a downtown club called the Armor Club. This was, of course, during Prohibition, so speakeasies were all the rage. The more crackdowns on the speakeasies, the more packed they seemed to be. The Armor Club was also a key club, a private club that gave their members keys to get in. So a key or a password was the only way to get inside. And that had to be something of a secret thrill to Mamie, knowing that at any moment the club could get busted and she would be discovered by her policeman husband. But it never stopped her. And Harry wasn't the only one seen on her arm either. She was seen in the armor club with several different men. So it's hard to know if Harry knew about the others, or most importantly, if Jack knew about his competition. So Harry really trusted Clarence Stevenson enough to let him in on his relationship with Mamie. And Clarence would meet Mamie in some out-of-the-way place in order to take her to meet Harry. What was really odd was this interconnectedness of the Thurmans and the Robertsons. So Harry was the city commissioner, giving him tons of power. Most importantly, power over the government salaries, such as Jack's. Harry Robertson actually appointed Jack to his position. And according to the local paper, The Banner, was Robertson's, quote, own favorite appointee on the city police force. Jack was paid about $175 a month, which was more than good for that time period. So today, that's roughly $3,000. That salary didn't last, though. The council voted for a 10% pay cut for all city employees on June 7, 1932. Mamie and Louise Robertson had started out as really good friends. They were both members of the Logan Women's Club, and Louise was the treasurer. But the two women eventually fell out with each other, and the friendship cooled. Now, let's get to the last night of Mamie's life. According to witnesses, on June 21st, 1932, around 7 p.m., Mamie left her garage apartment with a woman who had delivered her laundry. They then went to a store where Mamie gave the woman money for doing the laundry. The very last time that she was seen was around 9 p.m., walking near a theater in downtown Logan. It wasn't until 1 p.m. the next day that Garland Davis found Mamie's body 
while picking blackberries on 22 Mountain Road on Trace Mountain. And the amount of damage done to her was beyond brutal. She'd been shot twice with a 38 caliber pistol. And it appeared that she'd been shot behind her left ear, execution style. Powder burns covered her face, showing just how close the gun had been when it was fired. And as if that weren't enough, Mamie also had her throat cut so deep that it severed her trachea, carotid artery, and jugular vein. Her neck was broken near the second cervical vertebrae. It's suspected that she died from the gunshot wounds and due to the lack of blood, had her throat slashed after she was dead. Her blue polka dot dress was drenched in mud and blood and her matching hat was found 50 feet away with a bullet hole in it. Now, robbery was not thought to be the motive since she was still wearing her jewelry, which included her diamond wedding ring, and her purse nearby was found containing $8. Now, that may not seem like a lot in today's dollars, but at that time it would have been around $140. That same day, a warrant was issued by Magistrate Elba Hatfield for the arrest of Harry Robertson and Clarence Stevenson. Yes, Hatfield, he may have been related to the notorious Hatfield of the Hatfield and McCoys. Around 8.30 p.m., the pair were arrested and brought down to the station. At the jail, Harry admitted to his affair with Mamie Thurman and employing Clarence to chauffeur her around town for their secret rendezvous. Of course, the town went wild with gossiping over the mysterious death. Now, people were at odds. Some remembered her as the pious church-going bank teller, while others knew her as this wild drunk from the... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Speakeasies. And still, all of them wondered who killed Mamie Thurman. The day of Mamie's funeral, Harry Robertson's home was searched. In the basement, they found several bloody rags. And on the basement floor, there appeared to be bloodstains. A chemist was brought in from Charleston to analyze them, but eventually the results were not allowed to be entered as evidence. He, however, claimed that these were human bloodstains. A bullet hole was found in the wall, as well as a razor. Robertson's car also had bloodstains on the fender, window, and car seat. And this car was mainly used by Robertson when Clarence drove him fox hunting. 
Now, coincidentally, Mamie's body had been found just about a mile from Harry Robertson's hunting cabin. So things were not looking good for either Harry or Clarence. There was a lot of incriminating evidence against Harry, and Clarence was thought to be an accomplice. Plus, look at this realistically. He was a black man in the 30s. And even though West Virginia isn't considered a southern state, it's really close enough to have some southern sentiments. It's also rumored that the KKK made an anonymous call to police to tip them off to Harry and Clarence because they thought that Mamie had a sexual relationship with Clarence. It's more likely that it wasn't the secret around town that Mamie and Harry Robertson were lovers, making him a likely suspect. Now, I, for one, questioned what his motive would have been. That soon became apparent in court. Now, Harry admitted to his affair with Mamie, as well as knowing about her keeping dates with at least four other businessmen in Logan. On the stand, Harry seemed very upset at the thought of her carrying on with other men. However, after learning about the other men, he continued to see her. He did have Clarence keep tabs on her comings and goings, though, especially at the Armor Club. Oscar Townsend was another boarder at the Robertson home and a fellow banker of Harry's, and he testified in court as well. So he told of the icy relationship between Mamie and her once good friend Louise Robertson. According to him, Louise could no longer put up with the rumors of her husband and friend severing the relationship. The testimony provided much fodder for the press. One Logan Banner reporter said, The history surrounding the now legendary death of Mamie Thurman reads like a well-developed novel. And he wasn't wrong. Oscar Townsend also testified that he traded his 32 caliber gun to Harry for a 38 pistol. That discovery prompted another search of Robert's home and car. Underneath a floor mat in the car, they found a blood clot. Apparently, it wasn't found during the first search because it was just clinging to the mat. The car had apparently been cleaned out inside, leading them to believe that the clot surfaced then due to the washing. Now, let's get to Clarence Stevenson. He had sent his sister, Josie Carpenter, who worked as a maid at the Pioneer Hotel, a letter. And in it, he stated that he would die before he would, quote, lie on him and Mrs. Robertson, referring to Harry. He was also trying to get across to Mrs. Robertson that he had been moved to Williamson Jail to keep anyone from seeing him. And in this letter, he also urged her to, quote, stand up for him because it was going to be hard on him and Harry. So what was Clarence worried about not telling? And what did he want her to stand up and say? What isn't surprising is that Clarence told on the stand about how officers had pressured him into saying that Harry had killed Thelma. He claimed that police threatened to shoot him, and even with that threat, he would never implicate his boss. After about four days, the grand jury came back with their verdict. Harry Robertson was not indicted, but Clarence Stevenson was and would stand trial for murder. It's pretty crazy because all the evidence pretty much pointed to Harry, but Clarence was black and just a handyman, so of course 
he was the one that got in trouble. And it's really not surprising that members of the KKK were thought to have been on that grand jury. Also rumored to be on the grand jury were some of the men listed as Mamie's other boyfriends. One thing that really didn't help Clarence either was when he said he actually had sexual relations with Mamie. And although most thought that he was lying about this, it pretty much threw gas on the fire. Clarence also told about the time he was transferred to Williamson, which he had referred to in that letter to his sister. And on the way there, shots were fired at the police car that was carrying him. State troopers urged him to tell what he knew, or he may be, quote, taken off. Now, despite his fear, he said, if I was making a dying statement, it would be, I don't know any more than I've told. Then he pointed to someone in the courtroom as if he were afraid, but he wouldn't say who it was. You basically could have heard a pin drop when Louise Robertson took the stand. She testified to her husband's whereabouts that day. Louise said he went to work in the morning, coming home for lunch. And then after work, he took the kids swimming, and they came back at 7 p.m. They ate supper and went to bed. Mrs. Robertson denied having a falling out with Mamie, instead saying that they were still really good friends and just hadn't gone out together as much. When asked about her husband's dalliances with her good friend, she said, I learned they were intimate with each other because I had cause to believe they were. A woman doesn't have to be told these things. And even though she knew about the affair, she said there was no use to be mad about it. So it kind of makes Louise look a bit iffy, in my opinion. Two patrolmen testified that they had seen Clarence washing out Harry Robertson's car the day the body was discovered. And while the jury was out, a mysterious note addressed to Prosecutor Chafin was found. The anonymously written note said the crime would be whitewashed and go the way of other crimes in Logan. So no surprise, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty for Clarence Stevenson, and he was sentenced to life. Clarence said, I am not guilty. I have no knowledge of the crime I'm accused of. I tried to tell the truth, and I hope the law won't stop until they find a guilty parties. He was sent to the Moundsville State Penitentiary on August 22, 1934. Later, he was transferred to the Huttonsville Prison Farm, where he died of stomach cancer on April 24, 1942. As far as Jack Thurman, he reportedly left Logan, and it was thought that he'd remarried, but others said he had a complete mental breakdown, spending time in a facility. Now, years later, people, of course, came forward with their stories of what supposedly happened. In 2001, one elderly woman told her account. In F. Keith Davis's book, he refers to her as Edna. She vividly recalls her parents talking about the murder and the trial. They always talked about the doctor that killed Mamie by pushing her down the staircase at the White and Browning building. The fall caused her to break her neck, and he drained her blood by slitting her throat. Now, her parents never specifically said who the doctor was, but Harry Robertson did have a brother who was a doctor and who had an office in the White and Browning building. Her parents also believed that Clarence was only guilty of taking Mamie's body in the car and dumping it. Another rumor that went around was a very important man had an affair with Mamie. 
and he argued with Mamie about her affair with Harry Robertson. Now, during this heated exchange, Mamie was pushed down the stairs, breaking her neck. The mystery man then put her body into Harry Robertson's car, which was just parked outside, firing shots into her head, trying to frame Harry. Clarence returned to the car, and he found Mamie's body. Now, terrified, he went back to the Robertson home to clean up the body in the basement. He took her to Holden number 22 and disposed of the body. When Harry came home, Clarence told him what happened. Now, supposedly, the real... Then, in 2002, a caregiver Davis called Teresa came forward with another story. She told of a resident that she cared for at the Logan County Nursing Home who told of actually being there the night Mamie died. The old woman said there was a party at Harry Robertson's house that night. Several businessmen and their wives were there having drinks and chatting. Mamie and Harry were sitting together at a table. Mamie had been drinking heavily to the annoyance of Harry and kept telling her to quiet down, which led to a quarrel. At one point, Mamie said something horrible about Louise, prompting Harry to slap her hard across the face. Mamie screamed, losing her balance, and she fell, hitting her head on the corner of the fireplace. Everyone stopped what they were doing. Mamie moaned for a minute and then stopped moving. Now, Harry's doctor brother happened to be there at the time and went to administer aid to Mamie. However, Mamie was dead. The Robertson men then asked everyone in attendance to not ever reveal what happened. They threatened that everyone would most likely be charged with accessory to murder and drinking illegal liquor. So after much discussion, all agreed, believing they were protecting themselves, to not tell anything about what happened. Harry and his brother then took Mamie's body to the basement, where the brother slit the throat to make transporting the body less of a mess. They employed Clarence to take the body away, but not before the men got Clarence to shoot her in the head in case her body was found. Now this was done to confuse any investigation into the crime. Since her death, many have claimed to have seen Mamie Thurman's ghost. Some have seen her hitching a ride on desolate roads only to vanish before the car ride ends. Hundreds have heard screams on Trace Mountain and have seen a translucent woman walking along the road. The rumors cause many ghost hunting thrill seekers to look for Mamie's ghost. And apparently there's this weird phenomenon that people swear is related to her entity. So it's said if you stop your car on Route 119, leaving it in neutral, the car will roll uphill, defying the laws of gravity. So regardless of whether this is true or not, I'm not about to try that one. So that was the story of Mamie Thurman. I'm not really on board with the idea that her initial death was an accident and that these subsequent injuries being inflicted to mar the investigation or to drain the blood are accurate. I mean, if it was an accident, why not just leave it at the broken neck and dump her body? To me, it's a lot messier to shoot her and slit her neck. Like, that didn't make sense to me. I think someone was actually trying to send a message. If you think about it, the gun was very close when it was fired. It was so close that it left powder burns. Mamie was obviously mixed up in something bigger than that she could handle, and it got her killed. 
most likely one of the men that she was reportedly seeing. Probably something with illegal liquor. I mean, who knows, but she made someone angry. So thanks for turning in this week. I can say it's been a little bit quieter of a couple of weeks. I haven't heard of much from my mom other than to say that she's been evicted. She absolutely refuses any help from me, and she says she won't drinking. So I guess I have to just let this go. I can't figure out how to help her. So thanks, guys, for reaching out to me about that. I really appreciate it. I also found out that a worker has COVID, so hoping she's okay, but also freaking out every time I cough. So, so far, so good. 2020, never a dull moment. If you like the podcast, subscribe. If you really like it, become a Patreon, and you can get early access to episodes. And I might also send you out something a little special. Rebecca, I hope you got your stickers. Please also join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook discussion group. I want to welcome Robin to the group. So I hope you enjoyed this spooky episode for Halloween. I've been trying to get into the spirit by watching some movies. We just watched Hush, Creep, and The Invitation, which were all really good. I especially recommend The Invitation, but man, but man, don't go into any of these movies and read anything. Just go in blind because spoilers, man. Anyway, thanks for listening and catch you next week.